Clip your last piece and dig in because the run out starts now. Today's show is brought to you by Outdoor Research. Outdoor Research was born from the cold, snowy womb of the Alaska Range by climbers up against some of the harshest conditions in alpinism. Since those days on the edge in the 80s, OR has committed itself to creating apparel and gear not just for keeping conditions at bay, but for making sure you have fun and look good along the way. Beauty and function are two guiding principles at OR. The result? Gear you can count on during your deepest adventures and most satisfying journeys. Check it all out at OutdoorResearch.com or your favorite local shop. In July of 1978, after climbing all but a few hundred feet of the 8,000-foot-tall North Ridge of Latok 1 in Pakistan, Michael Kennedy, Jim Donini, George Lowe, and a fatefully ill Jeff Lowe chose to descend shy of the unclimbed summit. What was subsequently dubbed the Magnificent Failure was soon held up as a futuristic alpine climb done in the best possible style. The mountain itself was climbed a year later via the south face in antiquated siege style. The North Ridge repelled more than 30 attempts over the next 40 years by some of the best in the business. This summer, 2018, two important developments, one tragic and one triumphant, may have left the quest for the North Ridge all but satiated. On today's show, Michael Kennedy joins us to reflect on his ascent in 1978 and discuss the climbs this summer of both the North Ridge and the second ascent of the mountain. I'm Chris Kalous with Andrew Bishrat, and you're listening to The Runout. And if because of technical problems I sound like I'm stuck in a well, be assured that Michael Kennedy does most of the talking, and the rumble of his baritone is like listening to the North Ridge itself speak from the heights. We're live. Yes, we are live. And uh, we're sitting uh, here with uh, Michael Kennedy. And we're here to talk about Latok and the developments this summer on the North Ridge. And the reason Michael's here is because of his and um, cohort's attempt in what year was that? 1978. 1978. So 40 years ago. Myself, Jim Danini, Jeff Lowe, and George Lowe. And so we went over there. It was pretty unknown. We had an old Shipton picture that we'd seen in Mountain Magazine and had a Swiss map of the area, which was pretty decent, and uh, no sat phones and no contact with anybody once we left Scardu and walked in and hung out for like a day and then started up. And 26, 27 days later, we came down, still alive, but unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. How did you even choose the North Ridge as the objective on that peak? Well, we saw this picture, and it was the most beautiful thing we'd seen. And it's like it's like a giant walker spur. Pakistan had just been reopened for climbing, I think, in 75 or 76. It had been closed since 1960, I'm pretty sure. And so it was, like, wide open. And it was like people were going and climbing 8,000-meter peaks, but people were really going after the the big rock towers, like the Trango Tower and things like that. And so we saw this picture and we were just like, that's the ticket, that's the place to go. So yeah, so it's just a beautiful line and we're like, why wouldn't we go try something like that? Even though it was stupid, but... <laughs> the, I, I had some questions about um, Alpine style um, and kind of how 
where that was in terms of emerging in the in the um, the style of the day because you guys were coming out of a previous era and still well into the you know big expedition siege kind of well we were but yeah, yeah where where did that fit in terms of your style and well and also we, what it means well we were we hoped to climb in pure alpine style which is what we had done in Alaska and the Canadian Rockies and Colorado Rockies and stuff like that. So that's just start from the ground, no fixed ropes. Um, you climb as far as you get, you bivouac, get up in the morning, keep climbing until you get to the top, and then get back down. So that's pure alpine style is is pretty. It's pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward in terms of conceptually. On Laytalk, um, we were just a small team of four of us. We climbed. Uh, the lower, probably half of the route, we climbed basically in capsule style. We had, I think, six ropes with us. So two people would lead and fix the ropes. The other two people would haul, you know, haul the bags. And it's a ridge, so it's lower angle, so it's not like you're hauling. I mean, you you put a pack on your back and Jumar up with it. And we started up with 17 days of food, which is a lot. Uh, we had a lot of extra gear because we were planning on descending the route. So we were planning on repelling the route. You know, the first half of the route, we were going pretty slow, which is probably good because we started up two days after we got to base camp. So we hadn't acclimatized. But we went slow enough that we sort of acclimatized along the way. So we'd go up, and the lower camps, we probably spent at least one night and usually maybe two nights in a camp. And the lower part of the route is more of the rock climbing, so it was a little more, a little slower. So anyway, so we'd go up. Two of us would be, you know, leading, fixing ropes. The other guys would be hauling up extra food and, and fuel and stuff. Maybe you'd spend a second night at a camp. Then the next day, go up the ropes, find another camp, haul all your crap up there. About halfway up, we'd already been through one storm for a couple days, sort of just hunkered in. And by now... We were maybe 10 days into it. You know, our loads had gotten a little bit lighter. And from there, we actually went pretty much in, in more in classic alpine style. We, just, we left some extra gear and a little food at this one camp for the descent. And then we just launched off with probably three ropes, I'm guessing. We left two ropes fixed on this one traverse because we thought that would be difficult in a storm, and they proved to be very helpful on the descent. But anyway, then the the second half of the route, we were basically going just pure alpine. So we just had, you know, big rucksacks full of food. And, and, and how high did you get? Our high point was a couple hundred feet below the ridge on the north ridge, the, the crest of the ridge. So we were probably, at, I would think, maybe... 6,900 meters, maybe a little higher, something in that range. And the peak, I think, is 7,145 meters. So we were a ways. And there was some horizontal distance, because once we reached the ridge proper, you still had to do some climbing along the ridge to get to the summit. So we had, a, I mean, we had a good day of climbing to get there. And, and then just for people who don't know the story, was it Jeff who got sick? Jeff got sick. He was later, I think, diagnosed with dengue fever. So it was sort of a recurrence of that. He had gotten it on the approach. So he was a little sick on the approach. And then he got really sick up there. It was certainly complicated by the altitude. And he did improve as once we started down. But, but he was very, very sick. And that was complicated, too, by, by weather coming in. 
we had a, some weather come in. We ended up spending a couple, three nights or four nights or whatever it was at this snow cave a couple hundred feet below our high point. So it was one of the few places on the route that we could actually dig a snow cave where there's enough, you know, big enough sort of dome of snow. And it was great because it was warm. It was warmer. It was out of the weather. Um, but it did start storming. And it stormed pretty badly. So we hung out there. We ran out of food. We had a little fuel. We weren't totally fucked. But, you know, it was, it was a bad situation. Jeff was super sick. And we talked about it later. At the time, it wasn't much... A, it didn't seem to be really much of a subject of like, well, should two of us go to the summit and then, you know, and then come back? It was more, this is bad, and we better just get down before Jeff gets any worse. What's the group dynamic like in a four-person team like that, where you're all, you know, world-class climbers? And is there a person who takes a leadership role, or is it... No, it was really egalitarian. I mean, we were climbing as equals... We were pretty compatible. I mean, we had some differences like getting ready to go. Jeff and I wanted to go a little lighter because we thought the loads were going to be really brutal, which they were. And George and Jim wanted to carry even more food, which would have killed us. So we sort of compromised on the 17 days. We made it last for 26 days, so it wasn't too bad. But it did slow us down, all that weight. But in terms of day-to-day, I mean... I mean, I was the youngest and the least experienced of the group. Danini was probably the best rock climber of the crew, for sure. Uh, George and Jeff had massive amounts of experience. I had a fair amount of experience, but, um, but you know, it was very, like I said, very egalitarian. We, everyone, you know, we reached consensus, and if you're leading, you decided what the heck was going on and didn't make any mistakes that, I mean, any major mistakes. I mean, we kept on the line and it was it worked out mm-hmm. and we and basically we all got along really well i mean it wasn't um i mean you know there's always you know you always have some minor you know disagreements or some minor little annoyances with somebody you know because that's all you've got is like three other dudes and like a really stressful situation and so, like you guys wouldn't share your mustache brushes and things like that. But. No, 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 no. But there was, I mean, <laughs> you know, and I mean, every, I mean, you, you know, we could joke about it now, especially even, but even at the time, it was like whatever. I mean, it's like, come on, it's like, how bad can it be? I mean, you know. We're going to roll into talking about the developments this summer to different sense of that ridge, anyway, and one of them resulted in a rescue. Mm-hmm. You guys were you were on your own. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a totally different time. Like I said, there's no sat phone. We had no weather reports. We had no contact with the outside world. So you're just... It, it, the mentality is really different. I mean, you can't... I mean, it was just the way it was. I mean, we didn't have any of that stuff. So you had the little barometer, and you looked at the weather, and you sort of said, well, it looks good, so let's go. And then we knew that... We'd, be, we'd probably get caught in a storm, which is one of the reasons we took a, lot, a bunch of food. So we could, I mean, we basically would sit out for like a couple of days in a storm because it was, you knew that was going to happen. And if it lasted more than that, then probably you'd have to come down. And then maybe if you, you know, if you got a spell of good weather and recovered a bit, maybe you'd go back up. You're stepping into the unknown and, and into the, I mean, there was just no 
there's no lifeline either psychologically or physically. So you just, and there, I mean, no possibility of rescue. There was no capacity in those days at all. So anything was, you know, you're going to, re- I mean, like we had to help Jeff get down and he was super tough. I mean, he got himself down, but I mean, we watched over him and things like that. We couldn't rely on anybody else. One thing that I think is so interesting about this route is that it's kind of taken on this mythological status over the years. I don't know if, if you agree if that's a fair assessment of it, but it's certainly that people know about the Northridge of Laytok who don't know about a lot of things in alpine climbing. Well, that's, it's interesting because at the time it was so out of the ordinary that it was... At the time, it wasn't. I don't think it was very well. It wasn't particularly recognized, even though you know. I mean, we published. I published a little thing in climbing with some pictures and a little, you know, really short story and stuff. It was only later when people really started to get really heavily into the lightweight alpine style small teams on those big objectives that that's when it sort of attained this mythological sort of characteristic or whatever. One of the quotes I read from Danini in 2016, he said, we almost solved the puzzle of Laytok, but if we had done it, no one would remember it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that's quite accurate, but I think his point is that part of the reason it was of, for the mythology around it is the fact that we failed on it, which I think is the main point he's making. I don't know. I mean, if we had done it, I think it would have been, it would have been up there with with a lot of other big climbs of that period of time. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we've got close, but not close enough, I mean, just sort of added to the mystique a little bit. And then, of course, <clears throat> repeated attempts over the years by some very, very strong parties and not... And until this year, at least to my knowledge, nobody even got to our high point. Right, I mean, it's 30-plus attempts where right. people actually got on the mountain. Right. A bunch of others that showed up and never left base camp. Right. Um, the mountain got climbed the following year in a siege style. 79 from yeah. the south side by the Japanese. Right. Mm-hmm. It didn't even receive a second ascent until the summer of the mountain itself, right? Like Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot of legends and stories stacking up against this ridge, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it also probably certainly helps that, you know, you, prominent figure in climbing through the magazine as well as just your career. And then these other names, George Lowe. Uh, Jeff Lowe and Jim Danini. They're in alpine climbing. They're as close to the household names as as that world gets in, in the yeah. U.S. Anyways, yeah. So, All that is a lot of mythology to or yeah. a lot of things to sort through. Of, yeah. And then also, like you said, just seeing pictures of it. If you're a climber and you have some sense of alpine climbing, it's an incredible looking. It's gorgeous thing, yeah. and, and it looks impossible. You know, and at a lot of angles, you're, it looks yeah. to me to be one of the great. Yeah. You know difficulties of the Himalayas. Yeah. And it's big, too. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's high enough to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so the mythology is there. and I mean, I think we're all, because we've all talked about it, George and Jeff and Jim and myself, and we've talked when we get together, we've talked about, like, when is, I mean, come on, there's people are, like, really fucking good now and fast and strong, and why the fuck can't somebody do this damn thing? I, I mean, we were, every summer that people were like, oh, yeah, this year they're going to do it, this year they're going to do it, and then they didn't do it, and you go, what the fuck? Come on, get, the, get your shit together, you know? <laughs> I mean, reading good, yeah, some, some, you know, of each era there's been yeah. world-famous heavy hitters 
yeah. to go and make a test. But one, a lot of times the weather is just seems yeah. to be... A, I mean, there's a couple things. One is that we had relatively good weather. I mean, we did have a storm early on for a couple of days, and then we had a storm up high. Other than that, the weather was quite good. So that's number one. We actually had like long periods of good weather that if you were climbing the way people climb now, you know, very quickly, and I mean, people are really good. So you could have gotten up and down the thing in one of these. I mean, we had 10-day spells of good weather. We also, I think it was relatively dry because I look at my pictures and our pictures collectively of when we were there in 78 and the glacier looks really dry. We're climbing on normal sort of mixed ground and, and cornice ridges, but there's ice and there's cornices, but it's like it's not like big, waist-deep snow things that are going to fall off and that you can't... I mean, it was like normal climbing. And I've seen a ton of pictures from other attempts where there, you know, people are wading through waist-deep snow on these Alaskan-scale cornices and just looked really horrendous. So I think a lot of a lot of the pictures I've seen from various attempts, they had worse weather and they had a definitely worse conditions than what we had. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the um, successful ascent of Late Talk? So the second ascent of the mountain itself, mm-hmm. and the ascent of most of of your you guys's route by Tom Livingston. And I'm gonna, you know, there's lots of little extra. Doodads on top of these names. So is it Alex Cezanne or is it Alish? Alish. Okay, Alish Cezanne and Lucas Strajar. And you've been in contact with these guys. Yeah, with yeah. Alish. I met him last year. And oh, okay, so, cool. Um, and he, you know, he's a super nice guy. And you know, the Slovenians are maniacs and powerhouses. And and they, you know, I mean, they climbed basically two thirds of what we climbed, and then they traversed that right on some easier ground to the little call between Latok 1 and the Ogre 2, and then they wrapped around the backside on some easier ground and got to the summit. So it was a great solution. You know, it wasn't directly up where we were going, but it's like they got to the top, so what the heck. It seems like a long way to go. But again, I think they're comfortable on that moderate ground and could move really quickly, both up and down. Do you know how long the ascent was? I think there were seven days okay. round trip. I had some bad weather near the top, and... Uh, Actually, it was interesting because um, our friend Urban Novak was in contact with him via their sat phone and sending him weather reports and stuff. And they were on the call, and the weather came in, and they were really worried because it looked really bad. So they were talking to Urban, and, and they were talking about trying to maybe even descend on the south side where the Japanese had come up. So Urban and I were on the phone. We were on the road. And I was sending him pictures that I had from the south side and basically saying, that's probably not a really great idea. But anyway, the weather turned out better and and they ended up, you know, getting to the top and then coming back. And so isn't that wild that they're on the mountain and they're talking looking, to Urban, who's talking to you. About beta. About beta. On the other side of the <laughs> How mountain. do we get off this thing? <laughs> How do we get off this thing? I don't thing? know. <laughs> Call MK. Exactly. Anyway, it was... That's, so, I mean, think about the differences between 1968 yeah. and that experience. Yeah. Um, but it was great that they'd had that, the capacity. But I think from what I know, and, and I'll see Alish in a couple of weeks when we're in Slovenia, so I'm really curious to hear more about the specifics, but... It seems to me, from what I do know, is that they're you know they had a good plan. They were very efficient. 
and they got it done. And I think that's all credit to them. You know, I mean, it's I think it's phenomenal. I think it's fantastic. Is it accurate to say that the North Ridge has now been officially climbed, or or can we not say that because they did this traverse off of the ridge? It's a route. I mean, it's just a it's just yeah. it's a natural way to go on the mountain. So. It's not the route that we intended to do, and it's not the route that the Russians got close on, but they got to the top. Yeah, so that other bit there, the Russians earlier in the summer, just just in July, Alexander Gukov and Sergei Glazunov climbed the ridge ridge and then attempted to cross the, the ridge to the summit. One climber, Sergei Glazunov, thinks they did. His partner... Alexander Gukov doesn't think they summited, and then the, right. the big, very tragic complication is that um, Glazunov died on the descent. So right. the person who thinks he stood on the summit is no longer with us. Right. And then there was a yet another incredible high altitude Pakistani helicopter rescue right. of um, of, uh, of Gukov off the off the yeah. the ridge. So my understanding, and I've been in contact with with Alex Gukov and uh, I sent him some old pictures and I saw the English translation with his pictures. So I recognized a lot of the places, um, especially up high, um, that he had pictures of, like the little headwall above where we had spent those several nights with Jeff being really ill because we had gone up this little headwall and fixed a couple ropes on that and then we made a summit attempt and, and did another couple of easier mixed pitches, and we're looking up this fluted ice slopes towards the summit ridge. Um, so anyway, so his pictures, I look at those, and I go, yeah, I can see exactly where these guys were. My understanding is that they reached this, that ridge, and if you look at the pictures, there's this little summit on the right, and the main summit is on the left when you look at it from the glacier. And so they got to that, at least according to Alex, they got to that that little call or little near that sub-summit. It sounds to me, and again, I'm not 100% sure because I don't speak Russian and I think there's, you know, I'm not sure that Alex speaks very much English, but it sounds like they, that Sergei got to that little ridge crest, but then the weather was bad and they were, they'd been out of food and stuff like that. So then they went down from there. So I don't believe that Alex even got to the ridge crest, but I could be wrong about that. But that would be, would that be a new high point on the ridge? Definitely be a new high point because they were above, I mean, they were 300 feet at least above where we got to. But once you're on that ridge, you could go to that little, that smaller summit, which I think is probably 50 meters lower or you'd go along the ridge to the main summit, which is some distance away. It's probably 300 meters away, horizontal, and then, you know, maybe whatever. So has anybody, as far as we know, ever crossed that ridge? Well, it would be a little confusing. That's what I'll find out when I sit down with the Slovenians later in the month. Because that's the part of the route that you never saw. I was just curious if anybody... No, I've just seen pictures pictures of it from the other side where the Japanese went. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've got a pretty good idea where the Slovenians and, and the British guy went this year. So they probably weren't right on that ridge crest the whole way because on the other side there's some snow slopes and sneaking around and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. But I think that as far as the Russians this year went, 
they got to the ridge crest for sure. But it'd be it's a question in my mind whether they even got onto the right-hand summit. Maybe. Uh, they certainly didn't go over to the left-hand summit, which is the true summit. And, and Gukov, I mean, he says that in his reporting. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic that, you know, what he says and what I've read is that he and Sergei disagreed even while, while they right. were up there that they yeah. had summited because they couldn't see anything. It was fog and clouds. And, right. And, he, and, and Alex didn't even stand on the high point that Sergei did. He came down and, and uh, Alex never actually even went up to join that's my that was the summit is that what I is, read as well yeah that's my impression and then a day later he was uh it was on on the rappels that that um that Sergei yeah rappelled off the rope yeah. and died so so, so um, my question is do you think that this uh the Slovenian's ascent is gonna turn people off from focusing on trying to do the north ridge of Latok or is this gonna increase Stoke to go back to this area because it seems like, I mean, it's just been year after year, the best climbers in the world have been descending on, onto this glacier to try to do this route. And now it's, I'm, I'm curious if, if that's going to... Well, it'll be interesting. I think that people have a little more knowledge of the route now. So maybe somebody's going to go back and, and go up where the Russians went, which is where we intended to go, and then go along the ridge and go to the top. I think that's, I think somebody will do that for sure and sort of complete it. There are some other root possibilities on that face I think that's where people will go actually that's where pe- that's where the interest will be because on the true north face yeah like to the left of where of the ridge mm-hmm. there's a huge I mean it's a huge expanse of really wild terrain but it's also uh, lots of rock fall we even talked about it back in 78 about that being something that somebody was going to look at at some point but it could be i don't know i think it would probably be a fall like later in the fall when things cool down or something like that because when we were there there was massive rockfall over there and but it'll i mean i think that's where you're going to see something happen at some point i just want to bring back this idea of the magnificent failure being mm-hmm. part of the mythology of this route um i mean you guys climbed in good style but you failed in good style too mm-hmm. you took care of to set those ropes on the traverse in case you needed to get down right you um, made a group decision to take care of your one uh, sick friend and so uh, there's a lot of like good decision making that happened and and i think that just the length and duration of it added to this sense that this is you know the best climbers in the world are try, tried their best and came up short mm-hmm. and i think that that is such a cool aspect of what climbing is all about, which is that it's not just about the summit. It, it can be about the style and it can be about failure too. That can be just as meaningful to what, what we find valuable in, in climbing. Well, that was certainly the attitude that we went into it with. We wanted to do something hard, and, but it was more important to do something that was really rad and out there even if we didn't get up it, it would be like a really cool adventure as opposed to doing something that had more certainty. So that was a real part of, I think, the ethos that we were operating under. Did anybody in the team make another attempt? Jeff went back. He went back at least once that I can think of. Mm-hmm. None of the rest of us went back. And I know from, from, for me, I had never had much interest in going back because I felt like, geez, we climbed most of the route and... 
it'd be really depressing to go over there and like fail lower. <laughs> well, and also, if you're just trying to clean that up, it's like punching your card for another like well, huge expedition. There's, place, there's, you know? ten, there's lots of, I mean, people go back to roots all the time. And, sure. I, and I, think it's, I think it's really admirable, but I know for me, I just never had any interest in that. I'd rather, I was, after that, I was like, oh yeah, I'd rather just go someplace different and have a different experience and have something that was fresh from the, you know, the bottom to the top. Because that's part of the appeal of that kind of climbing is it's the unknown and you're, you know, you it's new ground. You know, every foot is new ground and nobody's been there before. And so going back and redoing a bunch of climbing that you'd already done. Of course, if I went back now, I don't remember any of it. So it'd be like, it'd be like the, the Alzheimer's point, as I call it. <laughs> so. All right, well, thanks for joining us, Michael. You bet. Thanks, MK. Good luck. If you have a comment, topic suggestion, or just a good bit of climbing trivia, join us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash runoutpodcast. Or drop us a line at our webpage, runoutpodcast.com. 